Hello and thank you for joining us. This is Search for Truth. I'm John Martin, giving you a warm welcome to our weekly Bible study brought to you by the Churches of God in the Fellowship of Jesus Christ. And as usual, we're here with our well-respected Bible teacher, Brian Johnston. We're looking together at the subject of the saltiness of Christ's sacrificial death on the cross. And today's talk is called No Going Back on His Word. That's God and His Word, of course. So, now let's go to Brian. Thanks, John. You know, John, as you were speaking there, I had a a recollection of a childhood memory of being in a car, going down some remote, lonely road, and hearing my parents speaking, this is like the road to Timbuktu. I don't know if our listeners would know about Timbuktu. They've probably heard of it, but I wonder if they know what it's famous for. The answer is the subject of this series, salt. In West Africa, on the southern edge of the Sahara Desert, empires were built on the salt trade. In some trading cities in the region, like the famous Timbuktu, salt could be traded ounce for ounce with gold. Even today, something still remains of what was once a global salt trade network in African countries. Salt was obtained either from shallow mines or simply from the soil itself by mixing salt-containing soil with water in large pans. Salt dissolves in the water, but the soil doesn't. Then when the soil settles out, the salty water is scooped off into smaller pans. The water evaporates in the heat of the sun and so leaves the salt behind. Long ago, the salt crystals were collected and transported across the desert by camel. But salt mining wasn't only big business in Africa. The same was true of Europe. European salt mining centres gave names to towns and cities that are still in existence today. The names of cities in Austria and southern Germany, like Salzburg, contain a German word like salz, meaning salt. And during the United States Civil War, part of the Union's military strategy included the capture or destruction of sources of salt for the Confederate Army. Its usefulness was recognised all around the world. So yes, it's clear that salt's long been widely recognised as having a value to humanity. But in this series, we are picking up on the fact that sacrifices in the Old Testament were required by God to be offered with salt. God has said, with all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Consistent with that, remember how we've seen the same thing mentioned by the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 43, when speaking about a young bull without blemish and a ram without blemish from the flock, and he says, you shall present them before the Lord and the priests shall throw salt on them, and they shall offer them up as a burnt offering to the Lord. Of course, we say again, all those sacrifices in the Old Testament pointed forward to the one great sacrifice of Christ in the New Testament. And that, of course, is what makes this observation about salt all the more interesting. So we're asking the question, why was salt added to the sacrifices? In the second chapter of Leviticus, to which we've already referred, God also reinforced his instruction about the necessary addition of salt by adding the command that the salt of the covenant was not to be lacking along with Israel's offerings. Well, that now brings in the idea of a covenant or a binding agreement as well as salt. What's going on here? I want to explore that with you today. It seems clear that in biblical times, one use of salt was for sealing an agreement or contract. And so we get the expression, a covenant of salt. We get an example of that from the Bible itself in Second Chronicles chapter 13, 
where in verse 5 the question is asked, Do you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the rule over Israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt? The use of the wording, a covenant of salt, is in support of God saying that he's given the rule of Israel to David and his sons forever. In other words, as we try to understand what a covenant of salt means, we should be thinking in terms of it somehow signifying permanence. Outside the Bible, there are references to a custom long ago, a custom by which men wore a pouch of salt tied to their belt, and when they made a promise to someone, when they were about to enter into a contract or covenant with someone, they each put a pinch of salt into the other's pouch. If a man then wanted to break his covenant for reasons that didn't seem fair, the other could reply by saying, OK, but only if you can take back your grains of salt and yours only from my pouch of salt. Of course, that was impossible, and that's just the point. When a contract like that was entered into, it was meant to be as impossible for a man to take back his word as it was for him to take back his salt. Now, God's covenants are covenants of salt, for God cannot lie, neither can he break his word. When the Apostle Paul wrote to Titus, he spoke of the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. And in John's Gospel, read of how the Scripture cannot be broken. Chapter 10 and verse 35 tells us that. This, then, is the character of the faithful God revealed by the Bible. When God gives a gift, or when he calls a person, he's not one to change his mind. For Romans chapter 11 and verse 29 says, The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God never repents of them, never changes his mind. That's what Paul says then in Romans chapter 11, verse 29. And the principle would certainly apply to God's gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, his Son, and to the call of God as it comes to us today through the preaching of the gospel. This is important and really relevant because it again touches on the eternal security of the believer on the Lord Jesus Christ. When Christ came, he made, through his death on the cross, a new covenant possible between God on the one hand and men and women on the other. It was this new covenant that he was speaking about on that last evening in the upper room together with his disciples. And Matthew writes about it in chapter 26 and verse 26. He says, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. On the first day of every week, disciples of Christ do this in remembrance of Christ's once-for-all sacrifice for them. They remember their Lord as he's asked them to do each week using the symbols of bread and wine. And as we do this, our thoughts are directed to the new covenant made in his blood as shed for the forgiveness of sins. This is the Lord's own word to us in Scripture. It concerns forgiveness. In other words, it concerns the gift of salvation to which God has called all who believe, calling them into a relationship with himself. Now, God cannot lie, 
His word cannot be broken, and he never recalls his gifts. So this, in the Old Testament language, is a covenant of salt. Listen to how the letter to the Hebrews confirms that, as we read from chapter 10. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart, and on their mind I will write them. He then says, And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. For God, there's no going back. He cannot deny himself. He will therefore never recall to remembrance any sins of the believer who's come to trust in the death of Christ. Just as no man can retrieve his grains of salt from among another man's salt grains, an impossibility, remember, so neither can or will God take back from us his plain word of promise, their sins I will remember no more. If you know Christ, that's a truth worth rejoicing in today. Thanks, Brian, for that interesting and very reassuring talk. 
One of our hymn writers of the two hymns we have today wrote, "Once in Christ, in Christ forever." Thus, the eternal covenant stands. And the other writer says, "We change, but God never does, because our love is oft times low, our joy still ebbs and flows, but peace with Him remains the same. No change, Jehovah knows." And as Brian said, it's a truth worth rejoicing in today, and, and every day for that matter. Now, finally, may I remind you, there's a free transcript booklet for this series. If you'd like one sent to you, or more for group study, ask for the title "Salt." And if you're using the post, here's our address: Search for Truth, P.O. Box nine three three four, Leicester, L.E. forty one nine F.Y. England. And the email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. You can also find some past programs and some other helpful material on our website. Just go to www.searchfortruth.org.uk. Now it's been a pleasure to speak to you today, and thanks for your company. Next week is the final talk in this series of Salt, and I hope you'll be able to join us. But until then. It's as usual. Very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, studio technician David, our musicians, and me, John. A goodbye for now, and may God richly bless you. Salve.